Good morning. Well, so if it's your first time joining us for worship service, I'd like to welcome you for for being together in worship this morning. And for those who have been coming, you know that we've been working through a series together uh, that aligns with our 50th anniversary theme of Bless the Bless. So the last few weeks, we talked about the idea of blessing, loving, and embracing. And so today, we come to the topic of serving. I remember when I was in high school, early university time, I was pretty keen student. Like, I would try to go do a bunch of stuff. I would try to... Um, compete in things or join clubs so that I, I, I can stay competitive with my other peers who are also really keeners. Or as kids quite now, nowadays, they're try-hard students that try to do well and, 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 and be the best like no one ever was. So, well, these guys are, okay, they don't get. Uh, so, I remember when I was in university, I got invited by a friend and he was telling me, oh, like, you really need to come and, 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 and do this thing together with me. Like, it's so life-changing, it's so exciting and, and it's relevant to the world and, and, and you need, need to come and see and, and, and it's just something that would change the world and, and be a cause for change. And I was like, sure, like, what is this thing? It, it sounds very weird, but Okay, sure, like maybe it's worth my time, man, it's good. And so, so at that time, it's when that whole movement of social concerns started to be a big deal, right? So then I thought, oh, maybe we're trying to go and do, be part of a movement and, and, and save the environment or, or go and, and be part of something greater. And maybe then I can identify myself as I'm part of this movement and make changes in the world, right? So then, I decided, okay, sure. So I showed up, and it turns out it's a multi-level marketing thing. Okay, for, for kids, you might not know what this is. This is a very adult concept that you might not encounter until you're an adult. So imagine if you are in school, and someone said, you, you come and join me, you'll get lots of candy. So sounds great, right? Like... But to do that, you need to sell the candy first. But the key is not about selling the candy. It's about inviting other people, other friends, to come join and sell candies for you so that you make money when they are selling candies for you or you make more candy when other people are giving candy away or selling candy to other people. Right? And so that's kind of a summary of what multi-marketing is. And and then I realized, oh, like, there's a scam. And, and you know I like to fall into scams all the time. And, and so, 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 so I signed up without knowing what it is. And then I show up. And, and I come with this mindset that, oh, like, maybe I can be great. I can do this and I will be the best at this and, and I'll be recognized and, 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 and I'll be associated with something greater. Then I realized, no, like, they're just taking me for a ride and taking my money. And, and so I quit, and, and, and I got bitter all about it. So this sounds very simple. Like, why would someone 
be so stupid like me and fall into such a scam, right? But I think it's kind of a trap that is ongoing since the beginning of time. Whenever there is human beings, there are people that want to be great. There are people that are striving to be recognized and be loved by other people as being someone great and someone that they want to look up to. And that's kind of the story we're looking at today in the book of Matthew, chapter 20. So the story goes that there's this mom who was the mother of the two major disciples of Jesus. And and so he went and go and follow and ask, okay, uh, can you make my son to become the greatest in your ministry so that they can sit on the left and the right of the throne when you go up to heaven? And so, of course, we know that the story did not end well, where Jesus saying that you're not ready for this and whoever decides to come are going to be entering the suffering instead. And so that reminds me of this term that is pretty prevalent in the past few years, the idea of being woke. So, for those who don't know, the idea of woke comes from this social enterprise, social movement, where people are being enlightened. They're awake in the sense, oh, we want to make change this world. We want to come and be part of something great. And we want to be conscious of the world around us so that we can act onto this world. But like every single jargon and meme, it gets overused and it loses its meaning, right? So eventually, people see the idea of woke as something that is overused, that people just mainly use it to sound like the deep thinkers when they're really just following a trend and want to be part of something. This idea of being feared of missing out on being part of something great. And it's almost like an act of being very pretentious about how much you care a social issue. So you sound like you really want to do something great, but really at the end, it's really about yourself, where I want to look great in front of other people. I want other people to look up to me and worship me and respect me and say good things about me. And maybe that's the same when this mother, it sounds like it's like they're trying to put all the blame on the mom, and we know like the moms here, it's never really the moms, it's really the kids. It's like, it's like what um, Pursue yesterday when Rob was saying, when, when some issues do come up, you'd be like, so a friend of mine was asking about this thing, and what are your thoughts? But it's really themselves asking a question, but they want to make it sound like, oh, it's not really dumb, right? And Really, it's really just the two brothers, James and John, who are trying to be great. They want to be recognized as the head disciples of Jesus. And so they will get a chance to sit next to Jesus. And when the glory does come, when the honor does come, then it will be all shining and they'll get a little bit of the glimpses on the sides, thinking that, oh, like, who are these two people of Jesus? They must be great people because they're sitting right next to Jesus, right? And at the end, the disciples were upset, and they started yelling at these two guys. They're saying, like, who are you? Why are you competing and asking for 
for, for these favors. Like, aren't we supposed to be equal? Aren't we supposed to be part of this together? And then Jesus has his own take on it as well, right? And so, this is from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, right? And it's something that is a good reminder as we come into the story right now about people wanting to sit next to Jesus. And this is Micah's reminder and warning against humanity that in a world that is in need of redeeming, in a world that we are working towards the work of Jesus, this is the posture we need to take, right? We need to act justly to bring justice into this world. We need to love mercy. We need to bring in the goodness that things that we we deserve that we should show mercy to to other people that so that the wrath and the punishment and the judgment does not come into these people. So that the people who offended us we don't repay with anger and revenge. But the one thing that we always forget then is the idea of walking humbly. The idea that while you're doing this, while you're living this out, you're not doing this for the attention and glory to be on yourself. That there's something greater that you're looking up to. And so, it's almost like whenever we talk about honor and glory, it becomes our honor and our glory. It becomes a time when we go and do great things for a good cause, for a good purpose. But at the end, sometimes we ended up putting the honor right back onto ourselves. Is that whole Chinese humility, humility thing at work again, where when you do something great, and then some uncles and aunties will walk up to you, like, oh, such a good job that you did, little boy. You are so amazing. You are such a guai person. And then you're like, I learned from my mom. I shouldn't take the compliments, uh, but I enjoy it. So I'm like, no, 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 it's not me. Like, oh, it's not good. But then, but then in the inside, you're like, no, please say more, please say more. I want more. Give me more of this. Give me more of this, right? Like, you're, you're actually craving for that approval. You want to feel great. You want to feel the glory when people are giving it to you. <clears throat> but of course, it's a little rhetorical, right? This is not what Jesus is trying to tell us here. <clears throat> and so the story goes, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so much with you. Instead, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. And so, this is the great inversion that Jesus is trying to say. The fact that in order to be bringing honor in order to be bring glory, you need to first pour out your own honor, pour out your own glory. It's like this verse that these first year students know really well about, that the first 
will become last, and the last will become first. Thanks, Benjamin. So, this great inversion, what is the big deal about it? Why, why is it such a big deal that in order to be great, we need to first be slaves? Such a concept that in today's world, it sounds so intuitive, the idea of being servant leaders, that it was such a big deal back then. So back in the days, people know just as well as we are, that nothing lasts forever. That in our world, in the days of Alexander, the urban legend goes that when he was about to die, he told his generals, he told his servants that when I am dead, there are three things that you need to do for me. Put me in a wooden coffin with a a very plain tunic and with a piece of olive branch and some olive oil smeared on my head. And then the guy's like, what? You are the greatest conqueror. You are the greatest king. You are the bearer of our good news to this world around us. Why are you doing this? And so Alexander starts explaining to them that when people die, however poor you are, however powerful you are, however rich you are, you're all dead. You're all going to die. And you will just all become bones and ashes by the time you die. And so there's nothing to brag about that you can't bring anything into this world to you. That all the wealth, all the power, all the all the things that you have accumulate in this world, you can never bring to the world after you die. But at the end, only one thing remains, and that is your name, your honor, your glory will be worshipped by people to the days beyond your death, that other people will remember you and look up to you. And that is the same reason why pyramids and are built in Egypt. That these pharaohs know that after they die, no one's going to remember them. And so the only way to remember these great, great pharaohs then would be to build something so great that when people look to this thing that lasts supposedly forever, they'll remember this pharaoh. But the, of course the irony is, we see these pyramids, we don't even know which pharaoh they're associated with. Right? And so these disciples are thinking the same thing that they go into this ministry of Jesus, they will eventually die and go to heaven, but there's nothing left for them in this world. The only thing that they can cling on to is this idea of greatness, that after they die, and when the kingdom does come, when, the, when they are to be dead for the cause, they'll receive this glory, they'll have this crown next to them, thinking that I will be looked up to, I'll be great in the eyes of others, that I am part of this. I am one of those guys that you need to look up and respect me because I give it all for Jesus. So worship me as well when you are seeing this. But of course Jesus reminded them that this is not what you're expecting. That in order to receive this crown of 
gold. You need to first endure the crown of thorns. You need to take up this cup of suffering. And it is not a cup that you right now are ready to take up this cup. And whoever wants to be great then among you must be your servants. Whoever wants to be great among you must first be your servants. But what's the big deal? Like, we come here and we like, we serve people all the time. We, we, we do like little things. We, we put chairs together. We put chairs away. We, we scrub toilets. We do everything in, in, in our, in our lives as Christians already, like to serve. So, why is it such a big deal that we need to be great? We need to first be a servant. So, the term servants is not just based on the things we do. It's not based on any human act or accomplishment. When we talk about being a servant, it's about an identity. The word servant in the culture of the day is not just the mere fact that you serve a master. It's not just the mere fact that you do lowly tasks like scrubbing toilets, taking out like cow and horse poop and like little things like that. But instead, it's also about an identity. You give up your sense of honor. You can no longer fight for your honor because whatever honor you receive is now your master's. You give up your sense of glory that whatever praise Whatever accomplishment you have done, whatever, whatever amazing achievements you have earned, they go right back to the master that owns you. And so, Jesus is reminding him, reminding these people, that those who seek honor will be dishonored. Those who seek power will become powerless. And those who seek greatness will become the least of these. That as you are coming into seeking God, wanting to pursue this kingdom that he's trying to do, we must first be reminded that we will become the least of all things. That we will not be receiving glory. We will not receive honor, will not receive power. And just as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right, that if you do these great things, you will receive the earthly reward. But those in the treasures of heaven will not be yours anymore because you are seeking for the wrong areas for your reasons for doing these things. And so, when it comes to us serving then, this is the mindset that Jesus is reminding us. That as we serve, we are serving in humility. That as we are coming to be a servant, it's not about how big or how small the things that we're doing. You can still be in the mindset of a servant when you become a deacon, a moderator, a pastor, a missionary. And the same is true as well when you are serving as an usher, as a greeter, or as 
just someone folding chairs, someone scrubbing dishes, toilets, sinks. It's still the same mindset of serving in humility. The word humility is not Chinese humility. We always think humility in the mindset of the Chinese humility. That it's just about lowering yourself. It's about about putting yourself down to to suppress that pride and wanting to be great. But that's not what humility is about. It's not when someone come and praise you and be like, no, 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 like nothing, nothing, not nothing. I, it was just luck. It was just clear fluke that I did this, and and I'm not that good. I'm not great. But rather, it's about when the glory is due, when the honor is deserved. You put your story back to the hero of your story. Who is the hero of your story? That would be the question that we always struggle with. When we go through serving, when we go through accomplishment, when we go through these different trials and we overcome them, are we humble in the sense that we put the spotlight put the spotlight back to Jesus. That all the glory, all the, all the praise are redirected back humbly and genuinely to Jesus, the one who really overcome these things on our behalf, the ones who carried us through so we can get to experience this greatness with him. And of course, He deserves it. He deserves everything. Because as the greatest, as the Son of God, He gave it all. He chose to give His own life away so that we can no longer be the slaves to sin, but to righteousness. He was the one that took on the role of the greatest slave that he choose not to be living in pride. He choose not to brag about his greatness. But he chose to be the lowly servant, serving humanity, serving the Father, and even to the point of serving for the repentment of sin so that we, in his death, do not experience that greatest shame. And so, we were in SYC this past week and we were going through very different sessions and talks and all that and, and I've learned that apparently in a Christian sermon, you still have to learn math. Like, you still have all these equations that you need to, 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 to take heart and to, to embrace in, in your walk in faith. And so, this is something that I realized too in our path of learning how to serve. It's the same kind of posture and attitude, that humility equals doxology. Humility versus doxology. And you might ask, why is doxology? Is that just the song we sing? Praise the Lord, on whom our blessings flow. Like, is that, is that what doxology is? Like, it's just the song that we sing every, every Sunday morning. But doxology comes from the original word 
doxa, which means glory. And when we do doxology, we are giving glory. We are giving praise to the God that lords over us. And so, in order for us to give glory and praise to God, we need to start off by living a life of humility. That in the way we serve, in the way we interact, we are not looking out for our own interests. We're not looking out for our own glory. We're not looking out for the praise and approval of other human beings or even the culture or society that we live in. But instead, we are living it out so that we can put all that in the spotlight of our Lord and Savior. And that would be the greatest way for us to bring glory to our God. That all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, all that we complete it would be ways to give glory to God. And so, we are by the servant king served first by him on the cross and in his ministry so that we can serve in a manner that reflects our Father. We are first served by God so that we can serve in a manner that reflects our Father. That just as this humble king come and live a life of blessing, not for his sake, but for our sake, so that we too can model after this God to serve and bless the world, not for our sake, but for God and the world's sake. And so, this is where we're at. We are living a life of being woke. And let's not let that word taint our mindset. It's not a trend we're following. It's not a fad we're chasing after. It's not an idea that we don't want to miss out on. But instead, it's because we are fully aware of the work that God is trying to do in this world and we can be part of it. Because by being part of this, we are showing this crown of Christ to the world around us. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for the opportunity to be in your mission together, to serve those around us. And as we continue to lift out this idea of blessed to blessed, may we be reminded that in the ways we serve, we are also part of this blessing, that we are not blessing people for our sake, but that as we lean on the Holy Spirit, you will continue to help us put the glory and honor back to you, the author of life. Pray all these in your son's most precious name. Amen.